Welcome to your Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes of jam-packed, up-to-the-minute news from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice every weekday. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Today's top story is the alleged drone bombing of Saudi Arabian oil fields that have taken up to half of their output offline. Fortunately, Trump authorized release of our own oil, so that should partly mitigate the spike in oil prices that resulted. That's pretty lucky because Saudi Arabia wanted to go public with Aramco and oil prices were a little bit soft. So it came just in time for that. And I actually was tipped off to that by a guy named Brian who came to the press pool at thepropreport.com, which is amazing. It's totally new and improved. Thank you so much, CC Design. It really, like you just post articles, it's easy to comment. It kind of has like a Twitter feel, but without the censorship or trolls. <laughs> so I really appreciate when people give me headlines on that and uh, I get a lot out of it. So I had that in my mind when the, what I now consider to be a distraction unfolded. Let me tell you, Trump tweeted yesterday, Saudi Arabia oil supply was attacked. There is reason to believe that we know the culprit are locked and loaded depending on verification, but are waiting to hear from the kingdom as to who they believe was the cause of this attack and under what terms we would proceed. So that's a very leading and ambiguous, actually, tweet because it doesn't actually say that Iran is behind it, which is what Pompeo was saying. I think Saudi Arabia was probably behind it, but they're saying that the Houthi rebels are behind it. And I saw some report that the Houthi rebels actually claimed ownership of it, but Iran did not. So we don't know, but but I think that this pro that whenever these outrageous warmongering things come across the wire from Trump, if CNN attacks it, I figure it's just a distraction. If they say, well, he's got a point there, then I start getting scared. But Brian followed up with something I had totally not heard of, and it was from an article on CNN that said the Houthi rebels seem to have some American weapons. And that really got me thinking because, first of all, the Houthi rebels are considered, they're always cited as being allied with Iran. And people are like, okay, that's why we need to wipe them out. But you got to remember that they, that they chased out a government that was complicit in 9-11. They, they were the reigning regime in 9-11. Michael Scheuer, who was head of the Osama unit for the CIA, said there was tons of chatter coming out of Yemen. And even after 9-11, we went into Afghanistan, but we didn't go into Yemen. And only did Saudi Arabia after the Houthi rebels chased out that regime. So once Saudi Arabia started fight, started trying to suppress this uprising in a country they have no authority over, who could blame them for going to Iran? They can't look for principles and ideology if they're fighting a powerful enemy. So they look for strength. And this, to me, is why it is so cru crucially important to always stick to your principles. Because when people feel like they're being oppressed, that they're, they're, it's unjustified how they're being treated— 
they don't, if they're weak and the, someone of strength is violating fundamental principles of fairness, there's probably nothing they can do but find somebody else. So I see this as a problem I've always thought is like, I'm totally anti-imperialist and anti-war. But the, the, if you ever read stuff that makes sense on that front, nine out of 10 times, it's communist. So you can't find like a good anti-imperialist website or whatever that doesn't kind of come off as communist. So the, it, it creates like the, the, this worldwide dialectic. Cause I was thinking of that. I always say communism versus fascism was the dialectic. It really wasn't. It was imperialism versus socialism, which both are kind of totalitarian top down governments. So there was no losing for them, but, but I'm, you know, as a libertarian or even just looking at the American foundational principles, our founders were mostly continentalists. So they looked at our allies, our legitimate allies being Canada, Mexico, and the two oceans. And if you think about like what's just from the law of nations perspective, you can't go into defense of someone who cannot defend you back. Saudi Arabia will never come to our defense and can only cause us problems. And then the argument is made that their that their oil situation affects us. That uh, everything affects everything. You have to have principles. That's what principles are for. But what's worse is that the Republicans always argued not from a point of principle about not going into Middle Eastern wars. They argued if we were only oil independent, we wouldn't need to. Well, now we are oil independent. So I'd like to hear all the Republicans saying absolutely no more alliances in the Middle East, no wars there, nothing. But I don't think you're going to hear it. And I think that gives the lie to the idea that this is about a, a legitimate defensive position. But I, but I always come down to when they're like, well, Iran is backing them. It's like, well, if, you were, if we weren't attacking, if Saudi Arabia, our ally, was not at who we support with weapons to do this, we're not attacking these people in their own country were the, the, one of the poorest countries in the world, they wouldn't have to go out to somebody else. So I, I think we drive people to our enemies when we don't treat them fairly. And I see that imperialism, communist tension arise in a lot of other areas. And I thought of you, Binkley, when I saw, uh, and that, when I saw more news of union unrest worldwide union unrest like the worldwide rise of the proletariat it almost feels like where there's strikes going on in paris from union workers there's the british pilot striking there's teachers in chicago that are considering striking now there's the labor union gm the union is striking in flint michigan there's like 1200 assembly workers who went on strike last night at midnight and their demands are this they say i want to be clear the strike is about us it's about standing up for fair wages for affordable health care quality for job security we're standing up for our temporary employees our brothers and sisters who do the same kind of work for less pay and job security is just as important as well and of course, Bernie Sanders is at the forefront of supporting them, as are all of the Democrat candidates. But this is a trend that we spotted a couple of weeks ago, and I think this is going to be one of the themes that we're going to continue to see in the news leading up to the next Democrat debate in the middle of next month because equality, fair pay, minimum wage, a lot of the stuff they did not hit in this past debate – 
It's going to be put in the public mind with stories that will then become the sub the subject and the focus of the next debate. This is the thing that bothers me about those ideological levers is that from a from a libertarian perspective and depending on how you define capitalism, if you just define capitalism as using money to facilitate industry and generate surplus wealth by using methods of accounting, which is really what I think capitalism is, labor unions are the way are one way to check what seems to be the unbridled power of corporations. So as a libertarian, I'm in favor of voluntary labor unions. What I don't like is if the government comes in and enters a private corporation's property in order to prevent scabs from crossing a picket line or something like that. But that is kind of a relatively modern phenomenon where the law is used to protect law-breaking union workers. What used to happen was that the law was used to break up strikes, and that's very wrong. And I saw an article that also reminded me of this union stuff rising in today's Wall Street Journal. It was called the Elaine Massacre. There's a monument to something called the Elaine Massacre in, I think it's in Arkansas. And I, at first I thought, I thought that the, I thought, boy, they really, they really go out of their way. The political class really goes out of its way to keep racial disharmony alive. Now, on the one hand, it could be that the legacy of our racist past is they're trying to keep that alive, even though it would have run its course. Or that it won't die because we don't acknowledge it. I mean, it, it, and I think people think that. I think that's where it comes from. But when I was reading about this Elaine Massacre monument, it said, wow, to our surprise, it increased, uh, it created more racial conflicts, and we were just going for racial harmony. And of course, it's not going for racial harmony. It might have been going for racial justice. But I looked into it because I had never heard of this before. And what what it was was a, I guess because some, World War I black soldiers came home and they were two things. One is they were like, they were no longer mentally capable of the kind of submissiveness that they were used to. So the town was like 90% black and they were sharecroppers and these, and, and the landowners were white. So these black guys came back from the war and they were like, had enough. Also, it was accused, and I think it was probably correct, that they were getting communist ideas from overseas because that's when the Russian Revolution was happening. So they, uh, one preacher and I think uh, circuit judge, black guy, I believe, yeah, it must have been Hill, organized these guys in a church as a union to to, I guess, gain rights. I don't know what the plan was, but a sheriff and a couple of other guys went to that church and shooting ensued and the sheriff died. So then the white people came out in droves and posses and stuff to to put down what was called an insurrection. And it's totally in dispute how many people died and 12 of the black people were sentenced to death, all of which was later commuted. So you just don't know all the details. Like there's a lot of cover-up and counter-cover-up, but... The fundamental issues that come out of that that I think are important to remember are, on the one hand, you can't suppress a union. It's not right, especially using the law to do it. What the heck is an insurrection when you're talking about free men 
that's an insurrection. Like you don't have the right to have their, their labor. And, and you have to wonder, they were sharecroppers in the early 1900s. This was a hundred years ago, not that long after the civil war. And the white people owned the, the farms, the land. Where did those property rights originate? How come? So like when you think about reparations now, it makes no sense. My family wasn't even here back then. We never lived in a Jim Crow place, nothing. But back then when like they gave up slave, when they uh, ended, ended slavery, it might've been a reasonable thing to do to give the plantations to the slaves because the, the origin of property rights is basically, according to like the capitalists, mixing your toil with the soil. I, I always question the idea of like claiming it and putting a fence around it, which is what like George Washington and a lot of the founders did in the Western lands. So I think there are legitimate disputes there and maybe it is good for us to look back and think about that stuff. But I always, I, I feel like that issue will definitely, like this Elaine massacre thing will come out as ambiguous. People will get mad at each other about it as if it's a pure racial thing, but the underlying principles are important and it goes to all these like you know why does everything have to be communist okay so if they had just been treated fairly then there wouldn't have they wouldn't have had to there was a lie and they, actually in the article it says or in one of the articles i read about it it was a fundamental a fundamental capitalist it says unions were a threat to the basic tenets of capitalism but that's not true so the unions were were a threat to those people, but they were just calling it capitalism and really just using the state to suppress and oppress. So you got to be really cognizant of justice or you will drive people to simply your enemy because in a kind of polar world, you're not going to, ideology doesn't have strength. That was the beauty of the American experiment, that we were going to allow ideology and have liberty and justice for all without people having to go to go for the guns Anyway, so I just, I feel like the principles are important and they never really get to them, which is why I'm always suspicious of why these stories rise to the surface in the first place. Yeah, the rise of the proletariat worldwide is actually the rise of the dictatorship of the proletariat, which in the communist theory, the dictatorship, you don't ever really get past that part. It's we're going to have a dictatorship for a little while, while we regain control, and then we'll put the democratic processes back in. Don't ever actually get to that part of putting the democratic processes back in. The law by Bastiat says that. He says, watch out that you don't just swap your oppressors with yourselves and then you're the oppressors. Yeah. In Hong Kong, they've been, for 100 days now, they've been sustaining their protest activity and creatively they've been singing songs. In fact, a couple of interesting songs that caught on over there during their, their summer's protest was the Christian hymn, Sing Hallelujah to the Lord, as well as Do You Hear the People Sing from Les Mis. So those are some of the songs that they sang, but there's this article that struck me because it had the 100 days in, 10 creative ways Hong Kongers sustain their protest away from the barricades. The title immediately struck me because of the 100 Flowers campaign in China. Yeah, yeah. What was that again? You told me that about that a couple of times. The government of China, Mao was in charge. They 
did a campaign where for 100 days they encouraged the public to come forward with their criticisms of the government, their complaints, their problems, their solutions, and people did. People came forward. Then 100 days later, they stopped it, and then they rounded all those people up that had come out and criticized the government. So they just drew them out. That's happened a couple of other times. I think that's what happened with the Hungarian Revolution with our help. They exposed themselves to the communists. And then it happened again in Iraq, which Wesley Clark actually was very prominent in those days in that theater. And he said, we told them all to rise up. They did. And then Hussein slaughtered them all, which makes a population very compliant, not only because it scares them, but it actually kills everybody who would come out and resist or have the power mm-hmm. to resist, and then you're just left with a, new, a neutered society. Yeah, some, I think you included, believe that that is kind of what they're doing with conspiracy theorists right now, drawing I conspiracy do, I, theorists I do think to... that's what that really crazy Sandy Hook picture was for, that it was literally to draw out the people. And you know, the funny thing is that when they asked me to take it down, they, when they said, oh, this guy wants you to take the picture down— but we don't think you should. I was going to, I took the first one down. There was like a few of the same picture, basically from different sources. I took the first one down and then I just was like, well, okay, I'll, I'll wait and see how it comes out. But they, I guess if I had been intimidated the first round, totally, I would have passed the, yeah, you know, she's an easy one to kind of, yeah, you know, she's not going to put up a fight. I only, and actually, I am not going to put up a fight, but my husband was like, what? You got to put up a fight. So <laughs> as a female, like, I'm actually less likely to put, I, th- I think that's totally sexist, but it's true. Like, I'm not a fighter. So this article listed, oh, you're a fighter. Come on. Everybody knows you knows that. <laughs> I'm mouthy, but I don't know if I'm a fighter. <laughs> they list 10 tactics, which some of them we've seen over here. And some of them we probably will. So just keep in, keep these in mind because it almost reads like an instruction manual for anybody who's resisting anything anywhere worldwide. The proletariat anywhere. Flash mob sing-alongs. That's pretty common. <laughs> I can't help but think of like the banana on the airplane. Remember when flash mobs first were a thing and then like people would just pop up and start singing? Yeah. And the what? Do you remember the one with the banana? Uh-uh. Oh, it's just so hilarious. Like it's obviously orchestrated or there wouldn't be someone there dressed like a banana but <laughs> yeah that definitely that's a giveaway right there if there's somebody in a banana suit i guess he's the guy who started the viral post it's the thing about these sing-alongs and these chants you get three people three plants to do them the whole crowd will do them yeah yeah and if you want to be subtle do not dress one of them like a don't banana. wear a banana suit and <laughs> sing about bananas either another one is laser shows speaking of bananas we have to talk about Kavanaugh next. Oh, yeah. Definitely some banana news on Kavanaugh coming up. <laughs> they use laser shows to, like, blind police officers and their opposition. Human chains. Children of human chains around school. That's always good. Hide behind children. <sighs> Crowdfunding of ads. We see the crowdfunding over here all the time. You get a scandal before any facts are verified. You've raised 50 grand in crowdfunding mm-hmm. as long as it's politicized enough. Uh, another Kavanaugh callback. Yeah. Linen walls, which are walls of plastered sticky notes, posters, and slogans that are just built up around the city and around subway stations. 10 p.m. chanting. Every night, everybody chants at 10 p.m. Mooncakes with slogans on them. So this is like propagandizing even food here. 
<laughs> pastry. Yeah, it's a pastry. Political pastry. It looks delicious. I might chant that if it tastes as good as it looks. There was porn pastry when I was growing up in New York. There was a big lawsuit because someone owned a pornographic bakery. Oh, yeah. So, like, you would make You get a Kavanaugh cake? That- <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what they should definitely have a special. <laughs> Uh, protest art, that's one we see a lot here. Flags, except what they're doing is they're flying the United States flag and the British flag. Are you kidding me? Because they're the great liberators. Yeah, yeah. And be water is a slogan they chant, which is a reference to Bruce Lee. When you're in a fight, be like water. Nice. Yeah, so there's some of the I like that. ten creative ways they have stayed motivated. And I'm sure we'll see some be water campaigns over here soon enough, too. Absolutely. Although that's that feels very like Asian in in tone. I mm-hmm. remember when I was taking Japanese, somebody told me there was a an expression that like if you overly if you get somebody a perfect present, like the perfect present that only you could get them, and they like fall over themselves thanking you. Yeah. Then the expression was, "I smell water running between us." Like you wouldn't even have to say thank you. Like I know you well enough to know how much you love this present. Yeah, and that just feel you know has a kind of Asian yeah, flair. Yeah. So I wonder how they will adapt it. Maybe they'll embrace that that cultural element as well. But it's I good just advice. Wonder, be like water. Yeah, but I just I wonder how if it's too subtle to actually get people to do what it is yeah. that it's there for. Yeah. So let's keep an eye out to how it morphs here. <laughs> So, but the the Kavanaugh thing is really I I can't I'm embarrassed reading the article that was in the New York Times like it literally made me want to throw up so I'm not going to read. Do you I want me to say know. what the new allegation no. is? No, I, I I want to get my mind around it. All right, you can say it. La, la, the la, New York la, Times la, la, la. posted well, it's in a book, and then the uh, the Times wrote an article about a book. The book is called "The Education of Brett Kavanaugh." which consists of a bunch of claims that have no proof or evidence to support any of them. And then one of the new claims is that Brett Kavanaugh was at a party and that one of his friends put his penis in the hand of a girl. Put put Brett's Brett's. penis in the hand. (laughs) Because Brett does not touch that thing. He says, ugh, somebody do this for me. Like the guy from Arrested Development where like he can't shower naked. Right, yeah. He does not want to see it or touch it. So his friend goes around with him, helping him in various situations. Right, because it definitely has to be Brett wanting it to happen. Right. Otherwise, it would be a Brett story forced this friend. guy to put his penis in the hand of a woman at the party. And I think it was a, what one report says, a non-sexual naked party. Yeah, the non-sexual naked parties <laughs> they used to have at Yale back back in Brett Kavanaugh's time. Where alcohol was allowed. Right. You get so hammered, that, you that, get naked. But what could possibly go wrong? Anyway, the woman in question doesn't remember any of it. Which is exactly what happened with that Stanford rape case. That chick doesn't remember. No, I mean, she doesn't testify. She says she, she testified even... about what she feels about what she's heard happen to her. This woman isn't even the source of the story. Oh, I have that too. The guy is. Like the New York Times had to no, come back and make a correction. And she's like, I don't even remember being at that party. It's worse than that. The The source is, the New York Times said, quote, two officials communicated with Clinton-connected lawyer Steyer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they Those two officials say that Steyer claims that he witnessed Kavanaugh's friends do this 
two. Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh is the only one who was. He sounds like a victim. Kavanaugh was assaulted. (laughs) So, but here's the thing. When I dug in on that guy, because they said Clinton connected with Kavanaugh as if Kavanaugh is an enemy of Clinton because he orchestrated a whitewash of the Vince Foster murder. Don't people realize that? So this guy, Steyer, was involved in that case. He was there. He interacted with Kavanaugh at that time. And lest people don't realize this, U.S. Attorney Miguel Rodriguez resigned his job. In, and in, in, when he did that, he wrote a memo addressed to Kavanaugh, among other people, saying the evidence does not support a finding of suicide in the Vince Foster case. And guess what? They sustained a finding of suicide after Kavanaugh replaced Rodriguez. Well, somebody, so, yeah, somebody put the gun in Vince Foster's hand, and kind of like Kavanaugh had to have somebody put the. I think it's way, way worse than that. Yeah. I think it was didn't even happen in the park. Like it was bad. They really, really hounded witnesses, discredited them, destroyed evidence, all that stuff. So the fact that this guy who's in on this story. Knew Kavanaugh from back then. Like, I think these stories are always, always about covering up Kavanaugh's service to the Clintons. They all always know each other. It's crazy. All these people that are in these prominent, controversial stories go back decades all the time. This one in particular, there's a little bit more going on with it. This is like the anniversary of the Blazy Ford thing happening, and this is hashtag Me Too month as well. We're moving into hashtag Me Too month coming up in October. Oh, I wonder if Virginia Roberts will be a Time Magazine Person of the Year. No, she will definitely not you be think? Time Magazine but, Person of the Year. But, but Me Too, I... Her not. Yeah. Her not. Is her not. Gonna, yeah, she's not. <laughs> you she's not. not, not. You not. Hashtag you not. <laughs> <laughs> There's another book along with this Kavanaugh book coming out that is about the origin of the Me Too movement. They've been going around doing interviews, so that's also been in the news. It's called She Said, and the Women's March also is holding a mass demonstration in protest against Kavanaugh on the 6th of October. So this is all an advertisement, a fundraiser, uh, recruiting uh, effort. What's that book? It's called She Said. It's about Not He Did? No, just She Said. It's not He Did, we don't know, but She Said, we do know. That's what we can verify that She Said. So this is all put, again, just like the labor union stuff, it's putting this stuff back into the public mind. You'll notice in the last debate there was no talk of abortion. There was no talk of women's rights. There's no talk of women's bodies. That will be the central theme of the next debate, and this is— Okay. Well, that's funny because I noticed when I was reading this Kavanaugh stuff today, it's it, they talked about a Democratic Senator Hirono, I think from Hawaii, who said something like, it wasn't in quotes, so who knows what she actually said, but that he basically, Kavanaugh, did not deserve a fair hearing because he's probably pro-life anyway. And and that that kind of thing is really messed up. Like the Parkland shooter, I remember there being articles that he shouldn't get a public defender because of what he did. You know, like, get your mind around that. And somebody even tweeted over the weekend to me, when I was explaining how Lori Lachlan was innocent and Felicity Huffman was guilty, and that's why Felicity Huffman pleaded guilty and Lori Lachlan didn't. But so I got a tweet in return that said, attempting to prove your innocence when you know you're guilty is a crime in itself. Like, wrap your mind around that. This guy knows 
that Lori Lachlan knows, you know, how would she know she was guilty unless she was guilty, right? And this guy knows that, even though the FBI affidavit itself says that, you know, co- contradicts the po- that she was guilty, makes it look more like she was a victim. But my point is that this, the, that American citizens who interact with me, you know, this is a self-selected group, are saying things like attempting to prove your innocence when you know you're guilty is a crime in itself. I mean, that absolutely presupposes that this guy thinks that the what the FBI says should replace any of your rights to defend yourself. It's cuckoo. It's nuts, and they're getting people to think that way. It's like the way that they think about climate change is – it is absolute. If you don't agree with them, you're evil. You're wrong. And it's the facts are facts. Truth is truth thing. Exactly. Right. Rules are rules, but right is right. Do the right thing. Yeah. Spike Lee did set this all up. Jeez. There I was a, so. another climate change story that I saw yesterday where a new study out of the New, Ze- new Zealand Psychological Society found that climate change is causing helplessness and depression among children. And that this has become more and more evident, they say, when the individual concerns are expressed collectively in the form of protests, such as an upcoming school strike. There's a worldwide school strike that's coming up at the end of September for children. Yes, I saw that. Um, Yes, I was going to bring that to your attention. But, But so say that again. It's worse for them when they have awareness? It's worse for them when they are... When they when these concerns are expressed collectively in the form of protests, such as yes. these school strikes for climate, because you're being terrified. And I think exactly. when I came upon that was a girl who was famous for some reason relating to climate. I know you're talking made about Greta. A speech at the UN, like you're, you know, really like you're a Nazi, like a real killing people Nazi, if you don't believe in climate change, because. The moral position has to be outside of factual considerations. Yeah. It just has to be. And if you get that wrong, that in itself is the litmus test. That's why they don't even, CNN doesn't even want to say, well, that's why they abandon the idea of source and actually report on it. Oh, we don't do sources anymore because we are the authority and that's all you need to know. And if you don't, you're unpatriotic. And we terrorize children. Liberal. Totally. But what about the. What about sorry, but what about the the screen induced psychosis that this and social media leads to leads to depression and anxiety? They've virtually stopped reporting on that. They are not talking about that boat fire being caused by by uh, electronics batteries yeah. being char being charged while people are sleeping. I mean, these are immediate problems we can do something about in our own lives. Hey, you know what they say? Why blame a solvable problem on <laughs> what well, can solve it when you can blame it on climate change? It's That's a lot right. easier that way. They created a new word about around this. You did? No, I didn't. They did. It, okay. the, the article says a million children globally have been striking to express their fears about climate change which is making them depressed. The grief and depression that can result from the destruction of places and landscapes that people love have led to an Australian philosopher named Glenn Albrecht to create a new word, solstalgia. Oh, they missed the sun? uh, Yeah, S-O-L-A-S-T-A-G-I-A. Solstalgia. Well, sol is the sun. 
The problem, we're not getting the sun because of the solar radiation management that's polluting our skies. And your your environment is deteriorating because of pollution. Wake up to that. Right. If you, if you, if, if, if you're a climate change, you're an impassioned climate change activist, stop for one second and wonder where, why all the press, all the money, all the politicians are encouraging you to focus on carbon dioxide, the source of all life and on earth, yeah. the thing that cycles through, the thing that grows plants, that provide oxygen, that cleans the earth through their own, you know, their, the waterways, everything. We never talk about pollution again at all. No. At all. Not even a little bit. No, so never. Maybe we should think about that. Not to mention the solar radiation management is basically just sprinkling pollution all over the place. And I think it has aluminum in it, which is the source of all Alzheimer's. So blah, blah, blah. But, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying. My favorite part of the article is the solution that they offer to children you know, to get over the sadness and sorrow and torment that climate change is causing them. They say there's a huge opportunity for better health through well-designed action to reduce our emissions and by adapting to the changes we are facing. So as long as you do these protest actions and reduce emissions with us, you'll be okay, kid. Well, speaking of all that electric stuff, you might reduce emissions by getting an electric vehicle, but I there is a chance that it's worse for you being that close to like a giant electrical generator. Right, a battery. I mean – yeah, it's actually like it depends on how close you are because it dissipates fairly quickly, but holding like the phone to your head, not so good. You think your battery for your phone gets hot when you plug it in. <laughs> how about a car? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I just I worry about that. I don't want to get a car a car and I did some research on it and it depends it does depend on how close you are to that battery, but it's not good for you. I think that about wraps it up. You can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com at 4 p.m. or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. We'll talk to you all tomorrow.